0: Well, let's begin our reading uh, out of Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Grace referenced it there from the Children's Bible. Uh, Let's read it this time from the NRSV. Uh, We'll say a word of prayer and get started with this morning's message. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 26, says, While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He then took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, in our, in our midst today, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, um, that you would remind us all that we have to be grateful for. And Lord, today, whatever the rest of our day holds after our time of worship, we pray that we would be tuned in to the good gifts that you give because of your grace, And Lord, we say that not just for today, but for this week, as we look forward or anticipate a week that maybe is filled with fun, maybe is filled with challenges, whatever our week holds, Lord. May we have the perspective to see that you are the giver of good gifts. Be with us now as we study your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. In the fall of 2016, our nation held its breath, wondering if the unthinkable would happen. And no, I'm not talking about the presidential election. Uh, I'm talking about the 2016 Baseball World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs. Now, the Cubs at that time had not won a World Series in the previous 108 years, and they were deemed to have fallen to the curse of the Billy Goat. And despite making it to the World Series, all appearances showed that the curse would not be broken because the Cubs found themselves down three games to one in a seven-game set. However, despite all odds, the Cubs rallied to win the last three games, the final game in extra innings, to become baseball world champions. Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Now, game seven was played in Cleveland, but that didn't stop uh, thousands of Cubs fans from gathering outside of Wrigley Field in Chicago to watch the game and cheer on their beloved team. And after the final out, uh, the scoreboard at Wrigley Field lit up with the words, Cubs win. And then the crowd at Wrigley and all across the city, fans hugged, they high-fived, they cheered, and here's what the Chicago Tribune reported of that night. Quote, "'Grown men and women wept. Fireworks lit up the sky in both the city and the suburbs, and while school aged children gathered on sidewalks long after bedtime to cheer on honking cars. This is what it looks like when a 108-year-old dream is finally realized.'" Now, after the instant elation of the win had finally worn off and the parade was over, it gave way to another kind of communal bonding. Listen to this report from the Washington Post that came several weeks, even months, after the Cubs' victory. Quote, The Cubs' players and staff have grown accustomed to a strange phenomenon, Everywhere they go, people come up with stories of a late father, a grandfather, a mother, a grandmother, a brother, or a sister, who was the biggest Cubs fan of them all. The World Series title would have meant so much to them. Almost uniformly, the interaction ends with two words, thank you. It's a lot of gratitude, says Cubs manager Joe Madden. It's the same refrain from everybody. For the most part, they don't want an autograph or a picture. They just want to shake your hand and say, thank you, end quote. You see, in 2016, unless you were a die-hard Indians fan, you were united behind the Cubs in their win. The Cubs in 2016 became America's team and the experience of the players after the win shows us one important truth about gratitude. Gratitude is always social. Gratitude is always social. And gratitude is always social because we are always grateful for something, grateful to someone, and quite often are grateful with others. Even and so the social nature of gratitude is clear, even if you are alone or even if you're just in a small group of people. Let me illustrate. A few months ago in the pre-COVID era, um, the BCE before COVID era, have you heard this? (laughs) In BCE a few months ago, my family was staying in a cabin that was owned, that is owned, by a friend of ours. We were enjoying this time away together freed from the busyness and responsibility of everyday life. And in those moments, it was just us, just our family. But we were deeply grateful to the friends that had made the, this, this trip away possible by letting us use their cabin. A guy named Robert Emmons once said, gratitude takes us outside of ourselves where we can see ourselves as a part of a larger, intricate network of sustaining relationships. Gratitude is always social because what gratitude does is it changes our perspective and allows us to see ourselves as part of a larger, intricate network of all of these sustaining relationships that make this moment possible. In order to live more fully into a life of gratitude, we must realize that gratitude is not just a privatized feeling of thankfulness, but something that connects us to nature and to neighbor. Gratitude is something that connects us to nature and to neighbor. Which brings me really to our passage of Scripture this morning and where I want to focus, which is on the reality of the Eucharist. Eucharist, which is a fancy word for communion, has, for many Christian traditions across generations, been the center of worship gathering. In, in uh, sort of evangelical traditions, it's often the sermon that takes the center the center place. But what we've tried to do at Emmaus is borrow from the wisdom and traditions that have long out that have that long outlived sort of the evangelical tradition. To say that the, it is the Eucharist coming to the table that is central to the gathering. And this sacramental practice is actually communal gratitude that is expressed through a meal. The practice of communion, this sacramental act, is communal gratitude expressed through a meal. It's essentially the faith community's equivalent to a cub's win. (laughs) Let me explain. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharista, which means thanksgiving or gratitude. And the word eucharista is actually a compound word first derived from the combination of a Greek word eu, eu, which means well, and then charis, which means favor or grace. When you put them together, eu and charis, "eucharista." And so put it all together, and what you have is the word eucharist means well-favored or good grace. Well-favored or good grace. Remember last week when we learned that there is always something to be thankful for? Uh, I hope you've been posting on social media using the hashtag always something to be grateful for. It's a long hashtag, but it's not new. We didn't make it up. We just borrowed it. So if you search for it, you'll find all kinds of things that people are grateful for. Uh, but we hope that that's been on your mind. But we learned that there's always something to be grateful for because God is a grace-filled giver. And the good gifts we experience are because of the grace of God. And so what we're doing each week when we celebrate communion is we are celebrating God's good grace. Now, of course, that comes to us in remembering the death and resurrection of our Lord, but if we could expand our horizons of what we're celebrating at communion, we would begin to see that when we come to the table, we are celebrating all of the good graces of God in our lives. For it is, in fact, the great Thanksgiving. So in this practice of communion, bread and wine are given as a sh- and are shared to remind us of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ And the generosity of God in our salvation. But that isn't the only way to think about communion. Because the bread is blessed and shared as a reminder that food is a good gift from God. The cup is blessed and shared as a reminder that drink is a good gift from God. And both serve as symbols then that God gives good gifts and has shown his favor to humanity. And so we come to the table with thanksgiving, recognizing that God gives these gifts in abundance, for he doesn't just give them, he gives them so that they might also be shared. And so there's this sense of abundance in God's gifts. And this stands in quite a contrast to the practice of our ancient brothers and sisters. You see, for our ancient brothers and sisters in the faith, communion was a sharp contrast to the pagan harvest festivals that were focused on giving gifts to the gods in order to please them so that they might provide for the year to come. And so these harvest festivals were essentially pleading for the pleasure and the favor of these gods to shine on them. But communion is not us pleading to God for his favor. It is a celebration that God has taken the initiative and offered his favor to us. Amen. A Communion is, is in direct contrast to these harvest festivals. There is no need to please or to plead God because God in him has in Christ has already shown his favor on humanity. Sometimes... When we think about communion, we talk about taking communion. Uh, No doubt this language of taking communion is actually borrowed from Matthew 26, verse 26, where Jesus says, Take and eat, for this is my body. Take and drink, for this is my blood but there's actually something really interesting happening in the Greek. The Greek word lambano, which is translated take or to take, can also mean to receive what is given. Isn't that something? That this one word can mean take and receive. Which means... It is just as plausible to see in Matthew 26 that Jesus says to his friends, receive and eat. Receive and drink. Because to take something implies that it was not intended for me. To take something also implies that that I took it so that no one else could. So there's a sense of scarcity in taking. To take something implies that I now own it. It is mine. But we do not take grace, it is offered. We do not take favor, it is given. And we do not take salvation, we are invited in. And so receiving gifts and giving thanks is in fact the story of our faith, is it not? The very At the very heart of the story of faith is not one of us taking, but is one of us openly receiving the good news of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, and the salvation of Christ, that we might have life in his kingdom. And so while I understand how we kind of adopt for maybe for... Uh, for similarity or for for uniformity, this idea of taking something, I think it would do us well that when we think about communion, when we think about the great thanksgiving of Eucharist, the good grace of Eucharist, that we begin to switch our language from taking to receiving. Receive and eat, for this is my body. I think this small change in language makes all the difference. As Diana Butler Bass says so brilliantly, quote, receiving, not taking, is the very meaning of our shared humanity, and it is the thread of community. For as long as we are in this shared life together, to just take, then that will not serve us well. But if we are in this thing called shared humanity in order that we might receive and give and pass along gifts remember last week we talked about how we don't really we don't really receive gifts we just pass them along right that that these that, that all of life has this giftedness to it so we respond with gratefulness so that these gifts might be shared what a difference it would make if we moved from a posture of taking to one of receiving and so all of life is a gift We receive it with gratitude and when we do so, it connects us to others in profound ways because gratitude is always social. Amen? Amen. Oh, and by the way, go Cubs. (laughs) Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, today we are thankful that you are the great giver, that all good gifts have come from you. And we want to have a posture, not of taking, but of receiving from your hand. And so Lord, help us. Help us to know what that means in these days. Help us to know what it means in the days ahead that we might be a discerning people whose hearts are are, are generous and whose hearts are in a posture of receiving. And so, Lord, may we live lives of gratitude. And may our gratitude connect us to one another in this intricate web of relationships that have made this moment possible. We give you thanks, and we give you praise, for you are a good God. We pray this in Jesus' name.